Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get late. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard, a pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. Oh, what the chicken. Double time. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, welcome in on a Tuesday. It is a red-hot Tuesday afternoon here in central Indiana, throughout the state of Indiana. So stay cool and take us along until the 6 o'clock hour. I'm assuming that you view this as good news. And what I'm assuming here is we'll start with Shaquille Leonard and Chris Ballard meeting with the media earlier today. And I have said this all along. You really don't know for sure until you see it with your own two eyes. But we don't live in a world where that's possible. We have to have this snap judgment and a definitive opinion right here and right now. Now, the world's not going to allow you to wait, is it? Like everything. The world's going to go ahead and say, you have to make a definitive decision right now, even if you have to pull that definitive decision and then come up with another definitive decision, which means we basically live in a world with no definitive decisions. We have no exact words. That said, all along we've talked about, we got to see it. I mean, it's something you have to see. And we saw a bit of a video, what was it, last week? And in the past, we've heard words, we've seen tweets, or whatever they're called now, X's. Is that what they're called, X's? Whatever. But today, Shaquille Leonard, evidently, he has passed his physical, according to Chris Ballard, will be eased into practice, which I think that is like the baseline of what you hope for. I don't know where you are with this right now, but I want to see the dude get back and see if he can become what people thought he once was going to be, what he thought he was going to be. Defensively, the Colts, think about this a couple of years ago, where they would be without his playmaking ability. Yeah, I know how the rest of the football world views linebacker. I know the hierarchy of what is important on the football field compared to what isn't, and certainly the linebacker is not there. But again, this is how this team was shaped. And what we learned a couple of years ago was the more than just relative importance 
of getting the football back, and in large part, you know, whether you say it was just good fortune, whatever, you call it playmaking ability. And defensively, he's had that. I just want to see if he can add it to this equation moving forward. Thus, I want to see him get back out there and at least give it a possibility, give it a swing. But Chris Ballard met with the media earlier today about noon, and when asked about that, he said Shaquille Leonard passed his physical, will be eased into practice, slow but sure. No real timeline for when he's cleared for contact. I will say that sounds better than I wouldn't bet against him. I don't know how much better it sounds. At least he's not on the PUP. But I like that better. Would you agree then I wouldn't bet against him? Or what was the Ursay quote of a couple of weeks ago? Um, he's progressing. There's progress or see pro whatever. It wasn't anything that you want to write home about. So, again, we're at square one. We sit back and we wait and we see. And see what happens. But Shaquille Leonard passed the physical. He's not going to be on PUP. He's going to be eased into practice. They're going to utilize that in a slow yet sure fashion. And there's no real timeline when he's going to be cleared for contact. So we'll see. Again, there are a myriad of stories going on. I can understand why you guys are pulling all these tickets and going up there and capping this bad boy out at Grand Park. And you're just doing it for the quarterback. You're not really doing it for anything else. You're doing it to go, wow, I want to see this Anthony Richardson thing for myself. That's about it. But that's where we are as far as Shaquille Leonard is concerned, and that is at the top of my list of things to watch. Regarding Anthony Richardson, which is a huge reason why a lot of you are going up to Grand Park, as I mentioned, had a good offseason and feels as if he is in good hands. Well, he better be with his coaching staff. And tomorrow is going to be the first day, and he is not going to force anything on to the very inexperienced quarterback here. So nothing is going to be forced which, again, is all stuff that we've already known. But we're all going to be watching. You're going to be watching, much like me, and you're going to say, all right, well, here, this guy looks like he's ready for prime time. Or, hell, not even prime time. One o'clock starts. This guy looks like he's ready for one o'clock starts. And then there are going to be some moments where we're going to go, this guy doesn't look like he's going to be ready for one o'clock starts until, like, one o'clock in 2025. Those are the snap judgments, those assessments that you are forced to make, those judgments that you have to make right now because we live in a world because we're not allowed to wait. So keep that in mind. You are allowed to change up your right now definitive answers, though, right? All right. Regarding Jonathan Taylor and the news this morning was Saquon Barkley. $11 $11 million in a year-long contract. And I know that these, these uh, running backs got together, and I know that they're upset. I don't know what any of them can do about it, except make sure wherever you are that you're going to get your money. You sit out, and you will never see that money again. I have no idea how you're going to recoup that money. Don't do that. 
And a lot of people were saying, I can't believe Barkley did this. I mean, look, they just had a meeting and they were speaking strong, strongly worded meeting when these guys got together on a Zoom with Austin Eckler. And this is what they're going to do. And unfortunately, with this whole situation, they are, are more or less powerless or leverage less here. So Saquon Barkley did what was best in that moment for Saquon Barkley. You know what else he did? He did exactly what any of you would do. It's like a Steve Miller band song. Take the money and run. Take the money and run. It may not be what you want. It may be nothing long lasting, but it sure as hell going to be better than sitting out and not making anything whatsoever and still be in the same situation. So take the money and run. And that's what Barkley did. A lot of people have suggested, well, this is going to have some sort of impact on Jonathan Taylor. And again, as I mentioned to you, I don't think it will. Because I think this situation is still different. Well, wait a minute, JMV. What are you talking about here? The Giants are a playoff-worthy team. They're playing for something. Yeah, Barkley was, what, a second overall selection. Jonathan Taylor, they traded up in round number two. What was he in the 40s? Now, how is that comparable? The situations are not comparable because the Colts are in a different one. They are in a different one. They need to see signs of coming along, of growth, of maturation from a quarterback, and not just in this season, but also in next. And what do you do to help it on a team that, let's just face it, offensively, it's not like the offensive talent's growing on trees up at Grand Park right now. So you can't and you won't ultimately be able to afford just cutting loose a dude that damn near more than anybody else offensively you'll have to count on, even if it's in a fashion in which it would work better back in the 1990s. Now, we're talking about the here and the now with this team, and that here and now is much different than it is anyplace else. Uh, regarding Jonathan Taylor from Chris Ballard earlier today, uh, he did not want to get into fully the extension. They're moving forward. Uh, history is good. Coming off a four-win season, we know that. And evidently, from what he had said earlier, I kind of took this into, and I'm sure a lot of you did as well, not against trying to do something during the season. So again, even Chris Ballard in you know not so definitive terms makes it sound as if there is a much different level of interest there with the running back in Jonathan Taylor than you're going to see across the NFL landscape. And again, we can look at it a couple of different ways. You can look at it as if, well, you know what, in the situation you're in right now, that works. Or you can also look at it as saying, why in the world was this whole thing built like this in the first place? You can say them both. They both apply. But in this case, you've got to make sure that your growing quarterback with a high level of inexperience is taken care of. I'm assuming you look at this offense. I mean, what is the most sure thing with this offense? What would you guys suggest would be the most sure thing? It's not wide receiver. And I know everybody has a feel good about Jelani Woods. I know everybody has a feel good about what Ogletree can end up being. Coming off an injury. 
But those are just feel goods. I know everybody says, well, you know what? You made that transformation now. No more Chris Strasser. Tony Sperano Jr. is in. First time gig in that position. So are you assured that he's going to revive an offensive line that a lot of the season a year ago was, was comical? I mean, tell me at the top of the offensive list, you know, what is something that you feel is as can't miss as possible? And we're talking about this running back in terms of a couple of different things. One is in the landscape, it just seems as unnecessary as ever. You know, sinking a lot of time and effort and, you know, crossing your fingers for production from a running back. But again, this is how this thing was built. And I, you got to ride it out right now. And for me, even with the injury of a year ago, you look at Jonathan Taylor, I don't know who else you see on this offense that you feel that you're going to be able to count on more. I mean, you're going to find warts on nearly everybody. And maybe it all comes together. Maybe the Colts have some good fortune. It's been a long time since anybody around here felt any Colts good fortune. But again, that's what makes Jonathan Taylor so different here compared to the rest of the NFL. So there was not a great deal to lean on as far as what Chris Ballard talked about earlier today. I guess if there's going to be one thing, Shaquille Leonard is not on the pup. He is not on the PUP to start. I don't know what that means beyond it. I mean, really, in terms of Shaquille Leonard, that's kind of how they explained on getting started and how they're going to utilize Anthony Richardson. Going at it slow, we're not going to rush, we're not going to hurry. I'm sorry, I just don't I don't think that I view it as rushing or hurrying, even if he's only had 13 games under his belt or whatever. I don't think it's rushing or it's hurrying with your quarterback that you felt it necessary to draft number four overall. I, I mean, you, you got to hope that the dude is at at least the level in which he can and play. Mistakes, sure, I think everybody's set to endure that. Everybody is set for it. But at the same time, don't you have to start the thing? I, I just, I, I still say that a lot is riding on what I'm guessing will be a very small playbook, smaller than usual. And a lot of what you saw, transformationally speaking, with Shane Steichen and what he did as the OC in his time in Philly. And again, I know I know that it sounds like, well, you know, that's just a lot of hope right there. It's a lot of crossing your fingers. This whole team is a lot of crossing your fingers. Make no mistake about that. And certainly part of that is what is going to be not just the short-term future, but the longer-term future of running back Jonathan Taylor and this was Chris Ballard meeting with the media regarding what I just talked about and his thoughts going into this training camp on his running back we're not going to get in the I mean you know me on the contracts we're not going to get into any what kind of contract negotiations we're getting into with any of our guys so we'll move forward as we I mean look we've been I mean our history is really good you know but saying that 
we're coming off a four-win season. We have a new coaching staff. So we'll kind of let it play out as it does um, and make those decisions when we need to make those decisions. I mean, every player wants – I think, I think you, any play, every player wants to be in the organization long term. You know, I don't, I don't think any player is any different. The market is what the market is. But saying that, like I've always told you, like you, you know, you pay good players. You know, you pay guys that are going to help you win, you know, regardless of the position. We think very highly of Jonathan. Um, you know, unfortunately, we didn't have a great season as a team, and then he's coming off the injury. But Jonathan's a great player, and he's a great person. So I think that'll play out over time and work out the way it should either way. It's uh, Chris Ballard earlier today meeting with the media up at Grand Park around noon. And what he got into was this. Uh, if you're going to pay your left guard handsomely, if you're going to pay your linebacker handsomely, and basically the rest of the NFL is doing neither, then you got to go all in. If you've identified these guys as your best players, then why in the world would you leave your running back behind? This may be completely bass-ackwards, as they say, and how to build something, but you're kind of down the path right now where you would like to see them be able to do something completely different. But at the same time, you're You're stuck. You are stuck to try to make good because your future is riding on an incredibly young and very inexperienced quarterback. Four o'clock for uh, Jake, too. I think he's good to go. Text him. Yeah. So that's where we are. Like it or lump it. That is where we are. And again, I still say, I'm not talking about getting this team to a postseason or getting this team, and I'm talking about this year in reference, or getting this team to win the AFC South. But what is going to be important, as I've always said, you undersell and you over-deliver. And how you over-deliver here is push some excitement in the offensive category, which, as we witnessed a year ago, was absolutely terrible. It was brutal to watch. Now, this excitement's going to come with some really bad mistakes. You might as well get ready for that. But this is stuff that you have to see coming along. This is stuff you have to see evolving. And that's where you start. You you don't start by, well, you know, clearly right now, Minshew is is not going to be a better choice. Because those are two questions you just don't want to have to answer. It's either going to be injury or ineffectiveness. And both of those stink for a young quarterback. What did John Wooden say? Be quick, but don't hurry. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about here. Let's revisit that really quickly with one quarterback in Anthony Richardson. Be quick, but don't hurry. Yeah, be be quick to, to take to this. Yeah, you're not going to hurry him along. All right, don't hurry him along, but let's let's get this thing going. Now, have some confidence in your guy, or maybe even furthermore, have some confidence in your head coach that's going to be running this offense here. 
And a lot to discuss, and we'll do that over the course of the afternoon. Greg Rakestraw does many things with the Colts, does many things in general. Greg's going to join us coming up at the bottom of the hour. I think Jake's going to be on here as well coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. I just uh, text back and forth with him. Uh, Bobby Nightingale Jr. is a baseball writer. Uh, he covers uh, specifically MLB, but certainly uh, the AL Central and others. And Bobby's going to join us coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll get a little baseball chatter in here for you fans as well i got stuff to give away more stuff to get to as far as the nfl is concerned if you missed it saquon barkley did sign uh, i don't know if you're viewing that as him breaking up the union or whatever but my advice would be for these running backs to you get what you can get and you don't throw a fit that's just kind of where you are right now. Like, if I'm Saquon Barkley, I can get in on a Zoom conversation, and that's great, but I really don't care what goes on with Austin Eckler or what has gone on with Dalvin Cook or what has gone on with Jacobs or with what goes on with anybody else or what how this is going to affect Jonathan Taylor. you got to go out there and make sure you get upwards of $11 million plus. If that's not what you feel your market value is, that stinks. But $11 million is better than living in the world of holdout and getting getting absolutely jack squat. I know that stinks. I know that it does. And I know that it stinks because everybody now has like painted a portrait. Well, this guy was all into solidarity and, you know, the first one to, to cross the line, so to speak, whatever. Hey, you got a small window. And I wish that there was a path for these guys to get a little payback. And and sometimes in things, what you do, there's there's no direct path. Yeah, I, I guess to have somebody running your team that at least says, I don't know how much they're going to ultimately value, you know, Jonathan Taylor here. I'm assuming that with what Chris Ballard said, that there is a lot more value in Taylor here than what others collectively speaking around organizations in the NFL are giving the value of that position. Just go out there, go out there, do your best, have a great year, and then I I guess through your play and through production, that's the only way that you're going to be able to ultimately turn the tide of where this is right now. But in the Colts situation, uh, massively different. Talk about that with Greg coming up. I know Jake and Kevin were both up at camp a little bit earlier today, and uh, we shall talk about that. The first day of practice is coming up tomorrow, and as I mentioned, too, this is a very popular training camp at Grand Park in Westfield, so if you plan on going up there, log on, Colts.com. Make sure you get, get your tickets. Again, they are absolutely free, but the time is ticking away. I believe they have more than a handful of practices or at capacity. They have 13 in all. I want to say four of them, either four or five, are already done. And Make sure you check it out. Make sure you get on it if you plan on checking it out. Yeah, I saw that with Jim Irsay and Chris Angel. I, you know, it's funny. I, I don't know about you. The whole illusionist thing, you know, whether we're talking about Chris Angel or David Copperfield or Doug Henning uh, or even Harry Houdini. It's weird. I've never really been down with the whole illusionist stuff. What are you? What are, you are you an illusionist guy? I don't mind it. It's, it's fun every now and again. 
just never, I've never been much on the illusionist stuff. I don't know. Maybe I need to go a show in Vegas and check it out. Or maybe if you consider what Jim Mersey put on social media and Twitter or X or whatever it is yesterday, maybe you should consider that too. He said, yes, the rumor is true that the Houdini of our time, the amazing Vegas magician, Chris Angel, will join the show on 9-8. Again, we've talked about this show coming to Lucas Oil Stadium. Break Houdini's record of a 150-foot free fall tied up and chained in Lucas Oil Stadium for a one-time performance September the 8th at 8.15. Here's a great illusion. You guys ready? This would be my illusion. This is what Jim needs to step in on this particular illusion. That is, go back, make the illusion that a lot of these all-Star Saturday at Lucas Oil Stadium tickets were not purchased by those that put them on a different market and then raise the price tag of them. Like, do that all over again. There's an illusion for you. You guys seen that? We talked about it yesterday. A lot of you were waiting around, around 2 o'clock yesterday, because you wanted to get tickets, evidently, in the 600s. That was not clear to me before I started the show yesterday. Evidently, the tickets were on sale in the 600s. And it started out around 24 to 49 to 79 dollars. Now, fast forward to where we are more than I think now 24 hours later, because they went on sale around two o'clock yesterday. You can find said similar tickets on StubHub for $297, on SeatGeek for $293, and a part of Vivid Seats for $305. <laughs> There's your illusion. <laughs> And make those disappear. Yeah. That was not a good day yesterday. Not a good day at all. So what was going to be 24, 49, and 79 are now 297, 293, and 305 in some cases. Yeah, Doug Henning. Doug Henning back in, in my era. It's an illusion. Now watch me turn this water into wine. It's true. Yeah, you're right. Hey, name me a team that had a high-paid running back that won a Super Bowl. Ballard would be a fool to extend Jonathan Taylor, let him play out the contract and draft a running back. Nah, man, there's not. Again, it's you're going to draft a running back and hope that what? that he performs now again i don't i don't disagree with you're going to look at this differently but i do agree with at least in the i don't know if this is an oxymoron or not like the the shorter long term which i mean past this year i still think jonathan taylor's necessary on this team past this year and it's not to get to a Super Bowl. It's not to go to an AFC title game. I'd love to see that, and I know you guys are sick and tired of it. I just don't know where else to tell you this team might be right now because it's not there. What's most important to this team is to make sure that your quarterback is on the path with growth, maturation, and gets as good as everybody expects because that's where the future hinges. And blanking around 
with all that can help him get to that point is to me dangerous territory. I know that the whole running back, I know about that. Six rounders do this. Well, look what happened in Kansas City a year ago. Yeah, Kansas City is a lot different. You know, once Anthony Richardson is Patrick Mahomes, and then we'll all visit that path, and that is how you view it. Unfortunately, for where they are, that's not how you can afford to view it. And again, I'm not trying to make anything right, because this was an ill-advised path at the outset. But I don't know how you get off of it right now. I don't know how you get off of it and hope that you can just slot other dudes in. Moving forward here at all. All right, quick break and we shall return. I'll get to a lot of you. What, uh, see, I just, I'm not used to calling this X. A lot of your responses via social media. JMV at 1075thefan.com is the email address. You can hit us up inside the lounge via YouTube Live. I'd love to see you guys in there as well. Hey, tomorrow's show is going to be on the road. Union Jack Pub tomorrow. Tomorrow in Broad Ripple. Smoke off. 71st in Keystone, Sullivan Hardware and Garden. Me, Mike Wells, and more coming up on Thursday. And again, all these events, everybody's invited. And then coming up on Friday, it is at the Rook, not too far away from Sullivan Hardware and Garden. We're on North Keystone with a tavern tour stop. That's Brent Halverson and Heaven Hill Distillery. So one, two, and three days on the road. And by the way, I've got glorious news. We are bringing it back. The Backyard Bourbon Broadcast is coming back, and there's going to be one, at least one, where everybody is going to be invited. Every, you know, normally these things are in somebody's backyard, and you can invite 25 of your friends. But, no, in this case, we're going to have one coming up here before the end of the summer where it's all of our friends, all of us together which I promise will be absolutely glorious. That may be an overnighter for me. I don't know if I can just, I don't know if I can soak that much up in an afternoon and go home. That may be an overnighter. It might be a backyard bourbon broadcast overnighter. Get you info on that coming up too. Rick Springfield, the Hooters, Tommy Two-Tone, and Paul Young coming to TCU Amphitheater. That's in August. I got tickets for you. Listen for that re-entry to win. And Greg Rakestraw, Jake Query, and some baseball with Bobby Nightingale Jr. coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. I know I still owe you some Reds conversation from last night. Williams and, why do you pronounce that dude's name? Piabus or whatever it is. They couldn't touch these dudes with a 10-foot pole. You knew exactly how that was going to go down last night. I'm not mad about it. I'm not mad, but these guys are swinging at balls outside the strike zone, and you just knew what was going to happen late in that game. Well, they're Reds right now. Two, two and nine on the season against the Brewers, two and nine. <laughs> I don't have a lot of help for them right now. They're still right there, game and a half back. And I'm still having a fantastic season watching him. But last night, you just sat there and you watched and you watched and the red sidestep all these different landmines over the course of the game, late inning games. 
you know, a double play here, you know, line drives hit right at outfielders. I mean, just on a line, just an absolute cable. So they sidestep all that, and you just knew once they got to the ninth inning that things were going to be screwed, and in fact, things were screwed. All right, quick one, we'll come back. Greg Rakesraw is going to join us coming up on the other side. Busy show for you on this Tuesday. The Colts reported today. First practice coming up tomorrow and a look around the NFL. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. If peeing your pants is cool, consider me, Miles Davis. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, welcome back. Query's going to be here. Bob Nightingale, Jr., not the senior. You know, Bob Nightingale, Sr. is a longtime MLB rider. His son's in the biz. Son's going to join us coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Union Jack in Broad Ripple coming up tomorrow with the Indy 11 and also a part of the Indy 11 on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline right now. Greg Rakestraw joins us. You going to slide by the Broad Ripple location tomorrow of Union Jack? How in the world are you going to be at my bar when I am on the way to Memphis, Tennessee? How does that work out? I don't know how that works. Hopefully I'm right. And I am. I am. <laughs> I, I am fortunate enough that I get to do a few gigs for USA Basketball coming up in the next week or so. Nice. So I am. I am. I am. After training camp tomorrow, I am heading down to Memphis, and I get to call the uh, U.S. Open Championships, which is basically the 15U and 16U national championships from the Memphis Sports and Events Center by the old Mid South Coliseum on Thursday morning. So I'm sorry. I will not be there in person with you on Wednesday. Oh, I can't wait. That's been a while since I've been to the Union Jack. Have you been to the new Union Jack? I have not. I have not. Make sure you go to where the old Union Jack is and then look across the street. That's where you're supposed to be. That's uh, tomorrow. Union Jack in Broad Ripple. Cannot wait for that to be there with the Indy 11. Greg Rakestraw is kind enough to join us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So I saw a Big Ten preseason poll. There are a lot of them out there. Going to be even more, I'm sure, that has in the East, IU 7th, and in the West, Purdue 6th. Do you buy both of those? thoughts early on in this process of college football you know iu sounds are about right i mean let's face it you know you're you're kind of fighting for fifth sixth or seventh uh in the current combination where the divisions kind of split up uh in in, in the big 10 going forward and as far as purdue is concerned yeah i had a chance to talk to pete quinn about the boilermakers yesterday and they are going to be a team that is going to be very transfer reliant And so if you're going off of familiarity from last year's Purdue team that was solid, if not spectacular, well, most of the pieces that you would know other than, say, a Devin Maccabee are gone. So I'm not surprised that they are, you know, picked to finish sixth in the West. I would probably lean towards Purdue will likely end up a couple of spots higher. I think Indiana may may end up a couple of spots higher as well, but I'm not sure that couple of spots higher for IU will, will make much difference in terms of you know the ultimate litmus test for the program these days 
are you going to a bowl game or not? He's Greg Rakestraw with us, shifting gears to the NFL. We saw Saquon Barkley decide to go ahead and take a one-year contract. And as I brought you back in with the Steve Miller Band, take the money and run, despite having conversations and Zoom meetings with other disgruntled running backs about where they are right now financially and what the future holds financially. He did take the money and run. I think these guys, for the most part, are going to have to try to do that because I don't think yep. now is the time to try to figure out exactly where your leverage is, considering you have none. I realize that, that it, this was like five years ago at this point, but the ultimate example of how not to handle this is Le'Veon Bell. And what did Le'Veon do? Sit out and miss an entire year. And what did Le'Veon do when he came back to the National Football League? Jack squat. Um, I, I understand the plight that running backs are in. I do. I feel their pain. But your best bet is to take as much money for a year or get as much money in a guaranteed two- or three-year package as you can. Um, I'm a little surprised that Saquon didn't get a second year involved there, but that may be him. He may be betting on himself and thinking, you know what, I'll take a one-year deal and incentives can bump up $13 million, and maybe I'll go get a deal someplace else or a, or a higher ticket deal from the Giants going forward. But it's just the reality of the position uh, it's still an important position. It is not going to be as valued or paid in relative to other positions as it once was. I guess ultimately what you have to do is try to make yourself as irreplaceable as possible, which yep. has not been the case at that position. But producing might do it. Producing around here, especially with a young, very inexperienced quarterback, and not talking about winning a division or going to the postseason or anything like that, but to get this quarterback, Anthony Richardson, on course, that's why I've said all along, I think Jonathan Taylor in this situation is much different than what you see in the landscape of running backs around the NFL because of what is expected from a young, inexperienced quarterback and the production he needs on a team that if you're going to look at offensive production, Greg, at the top of that list, on this offense would be Jonathan Taylor. So to me, it's different. You have a five-year window to pay a running back here. Uh, and then if Richardson plays the way that people hope he plays, that window to pay a running back is gone. Um, for as good as Jonathan Taylor has been for three years, he's not getting a five-year contract. I'm not sure he's getting a four-year contract. But I do believe he would get more money here than he would get anywhere else in the National Football League. So I, I, I think the importance of the Barkley deal isn't as much about years because I do think the Colts will have a little more leniency and be willing to give JT a, a, a two- or three-year deal. I really believe that. But I think what it is is it sets the market value. He took $11 million and I think there's $2 million in bonuses that are attached to it. And so if that's the market for Barkley at about $13 million, I would assume that Jonathan Taylor's number would be of a similar ilk. Uh, we'll, we'll see if I'm right or wrong on that. He's Greg Graystone on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How did you view the news of Shaquille Leonard? Was it like me? And it was twofold. It was, well, at least he's not starting on Pup. And it sounds better than Chris Ballard telling me that I wouldn't bet against him back in February when asked something similar. <laughs> what about you? The fact that he's not starting on Pup, that is a win. The fact that we will see him to some degree, that that is 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 a victory. So, because again, my expectations on that front were next to nothing. Where I have no idea how this is going to play out. So, the fact that it's something better than that, 
that's a win for the Indianapolis Colts today. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I, I mean, it, and again, it's not like this is one of these you know, super terrific wins. It's just something that's better than the alternative uh, in this particular case. Um, Chris Ballard met with the media a little bit earlier around noon. Were you up there today? I was on up there today. I'll be up there tomorrow because as important as – Chris's press conference is for me. It's about seeing players on the field. That's the most important. Thing. There's no doubt about that. So today, you just hear a lot of a lot of conversation and such. Well, what do you think they are um, relative to Anthony Richardson and playing him, for example, in Week One compared to where they believe he is right now? Because there's not a great deal to go on. But honestly. If Jim Irsay, the owner, wants to see him play in week number one, which has been, to me, clear, I mean, aren't you siding on that? Doesn't it have to be really disastrous if he's not ready in this case? I would say this. I I have always held firm that that decision gets made the week of August 21st. In other words, you'll have a preseason game, and I don't know if the Colts will kind of follow it as become the standard operating procedure where if you're going to have these two days of practices against the team, then you don't play your ones in the following preseason game. That's not how I would handle Anthony Richardson. We'll see if Shane Steichen and, and Chris Ballard you know, feel differently uh, about that. But to me, you need to see him for, for four weeks in camp. You need to see him in comparison to Minshew. You need to see him against the Bills and against the Eagles and against the Bears as much as possible and then you make an intelligent decision. And again, this is I, I've likened it to, you know, in, in baseball, the tie goes to the runner. Well, the tie goes to the number four pick in the draft. If they think he would be competent at quarterback, it's going to be him so he can learn. It is his job to lose to me, but at the same time, I honestly don't think a determination has been made because you have to see him in as close to as live fire as you will get. And that will be against your own team for a couple of weeks and then against whatever you're going to see from the Bills in the preseason. And I think most importantly, what you see in practice against the Bears and the Eagles and that last practice is August 22nd. And at that point, you're two and a half weeks out from the start of the season. And then you will have a, a really a chance to know, hey, is the kid close to ready? If he is, it's his job. Then if not, you also protect him from himself and put Minshew out there in week number one. It's a Greg Rakestraw with us in here yesterday on the road today. Before I let you go, this is a hell of a day in cinematic history right here. And there are few films that you can watch over and over and over again. And they don't, they don't get old. They never get old. And one of those celebrates an anniversary today. That would be Caddyshack. It never gets old. It never gets old. There's no part of it where you skip through because it's boring from start to finish. It is a cinematic masterpiece. You agree? Are you having Lacey on the show to celebrate that today? Well, I was, um, I've been going back and forth with her right here. Cindy Morgan, the awesome actress Cindy Morgan, who has, by the way, been on the show before. And if you remember, Spalding has been on the show with me before. I don't even know how to track him down now. I think he's... Uh, now, see, it, it, it's funny. For some reason, yep. I remembered the fact that Lacey was on the show. Yes. Spalding, not so much. Yes, uh, Spalding... Yes, I vividly yeah. remember her being on the program, yes. Trying to think. I think it was the, uh, the 25th anniversary of the release of Caddyshack and they were doing some type of reunion in Chicago 
and most of them got together, I think even including Bill Murray, and both Cindy Morgan called in and then Spalding called in. Spalding at the time was a real estate agent in Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> you mean play, playing a role where 50 bucks says he eats it, is it good for one's acting career is what you were trying to tell me? <laughs> yeah. But he was awesome, though. I mean, he was. we talked about, you know, the the farts and double farts and turds and, you know, the booger eating. And he, I think people forget about how huge of a dynamic he was in that film. You know what I mean? I mean, they were great actors in it, great comedians, but he was among them, somebody that had very little experience doing that. It was amazing how he popped. He was very much a comic foil in that movie. Absolutely, he was. And uh, Cindy Morgan is Lacey Underall. Always look good. No question. No question Still about that. Good. 43 years later. 1980, Caddyshack. This day in cinematic history. Uh, Greg Rakestraw via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Great job on the midday show yesterday, and I'll uh, catch you a little bit further down the road. And sorry about tomorrow on Broad Ripple at Union Jack. That's that's weird, the timing right there. Have an extra beverage for me, and I'll talk to you next week. You got it, buddy. Thank you very much. Greg Rakestraw, Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Um, I actually tweeted to Cindy Morgan, a great day in cinematic history. We celebrate this day each year with the spectacular Cindy Morgan. That is the actress that played Lacey Underall in Caddyshack. Cindy Morgan, I think also was a co-star with Jeff Bridges in one of the great, one of the great yet often forgotten video games. Anybody know what I'm talking about? One of the great but often forgotten. This is from the arcade era. Now, you're always going to hear about Donkey Kong and Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man and Galaga. You're always going to hear about those, but rarely do you hear about this piece of arcade greatness. And it coincided with the film. Here's a part of that, too. I'll tell you what that is coming up on the other side. Jake Query, top of the hour. Bobby Nightingale Jr. covers baseball. He's going to join us in the 5 o'clock hour. 93-5107-5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. Hey, my buddy, Swanson, full steam ahead, over there. I want to go over there. I'll move over, Swanson, I'm driving. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Oh, I love it. L.U., will you come loofah, my stretch marks? Caddyshack, this date, 1980. Let's all celebrate. This is one of those films that never, ever gets old. One of those films where I've never found in my life. Now, I'm, I'm normally just talking about dudes here. I've never given this uh, straw poll as far as uh, uh, the ladies are concerned. Uh, and again, most of which that we have talked about it, dig it. But I've never met a dude that has said in my lifetime, you know what? That's a horrible film. You know what? I don't want to watch that movie. Caddyshack. This date, 1980. 
I mean, just think across the board, just the greatness overall of those in that film. Think about the legendary story of writer Douglas Kinney, who only heard the bad about Caddyshack because initially nobody liked it. It became a cult classic. Douglas Kinney, one of the writers, died before he found out how popular his film had become. Incredible stuff. Caddyshack, this date, back in 1980. Jake Query, top of the hour. Bobby Nightingale Jr., some baseball in the 5 o'clock hour. Springfield tickets and more for TCU Amphitheater in August. Listen to when I'll update you on that. And road shows, both tomorrow and Thursday. And then we'll do it again coming up on Friday. I'll explain next. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Ride with JMV. Just an average guy with exceptional hair. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Greg Rakestraw Podcast, 107.5thefan.com. The lowdown from Chris Ballard earlier today. Colts general manager across the board regarding Jonathan Taylor, Shaquille Leonard, Anthony Richardson, and more. Colts report today. First practice coming up tomorrow. And we're also celebrating... One of the greatest films of all time, one film that never, ever gets old, never ages. Year after year, gracefully aging to be basically the same cinematic masterpiece that it was back in 1980, even if the general public didn't view it that way. This date in history, 1980, Caddyshack was released and with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline here and Kevin Bowen of the morning show staked out at Grand Park a little bit earlier today and I'm sure had a good time doing that they'll be back at it up there again coming up tomorrow Jake Query joins us would you put Caddyshack at the top of your list of films where you never get tired of watching it you're never ever ever going to believe me when I tell you this and it might be our last conversation. I've never seen Caddyshack. I have. Um, that is, I don't know if that is, that's a flooring piece of information right there. Here is the thing. How, how are you? How old are you again? You're 50? 50? 50? I'll, I'll be 51 in September. Here's the thing. So you're a 50-year-old dude that's never seen, how can that be? Now, now allow me to elaborate. Okay. I think Animal House is in this same category. And those are the two that jump out at me. I have never sat down to watch it from beginning to end. I believe I have probably seen all of the key scenes of it a hundred times. And I'm certainly aware of all of it. And I, you know, I mean, you don't grow up in our era without hearing it referenced 50,000 times. So I know of all the key lines. I know of all the key figures. I know of all the key characters. And I think I probably have seen 
all of the key scenes. I just have not sat down and sequentially watched them. All right. So, do you have a favorite scene of all? See, I've said this about I've said this about Back to the Future, same way. I've said this about The Godfather. I've said this about I've never seen Princess Bride. I've said this about Gremlins with Phoebe Cates in it. I've never seen it start to finish, but I've seen bits and pieces. But this is yeah. this is completely different. I would add Animal House in there too. It's almost almost like that to be a dude. You have had to have seen both of those at some point in in their entirety. Yeah, I I mean, obviously with Caddyshack, I mean, I've seen a hundred thousand times and I've quoted myself probably a hundred thousand times the, you know, I just said to the daughter, you know, there's something for the effort, you know, there's something for the effort. I mean, you know, so on your deathbed, you will gain complete, I, I mean, Obviously, I've seen I know all those things, right? So, so that would be my favorite like scene from it. Um, I think that that's about it. I mean, outside of that, I've seen most of. I, I, to be honest with you, when I was a kid, there are two things that come into play here. I was the youngest of three, but I had sisters and not older brothers. That probably was part of it, but also, my parents were such that like. I mean, there were no R, like there were no way I was going to an R-rated movie. Nah, I, I didn't. Gotcha. I didn't grow up in like some uber strict household. But my dad was like, "You're not seeing R-rated." And I mean, obviously, <laughs> this way to skirt around it. And I mean, Chris and John Love. I'll tell you this: Chris and John Love of Love Heat, Love Eating and Air, who I know you know and, and did, love. Did also. they supply nudie movies for you because no, you couldn't see them at your house? They didn't, it wasn't that, but they, but we spent the night at their house every night in seventh and eighth grade. I basically grew up in Chris and John's house. And we had Revenge of the Nerds on tape, and there was one scene in that that was paused so frequently that the tape actually wrinkled after a certain amount of time. But we watched, when I was in seventh and eighth grade, my buddies and I watched Revenge of the Nerds every Friday and Saturday night for like two straight years, and it was the best movie ever. I mean, I, it, Was it Betty? Did you pause on Betty? Was gone with the wind. Did you What's pause that? on Betty? <laughs> um, I believe that I would simply say this: we, Betty Childs was certainly in the mix, <laughs> but I believe I believe the scene where we paused was uh, right after a request by Booger. <laughs> I yeah, I know. Yeah. How did uh, How did Lewis not go to jail for like thirty years? That was a that was a hell of a chancy move by Lewis right there. At the end, you know that uh, you know that Lamar Luttrell, who is in one of the nerds, right? Yeah, right. Uh, he is actually the Photoshop expert in Seinfeld when George has to Photoshop himself out of. That would be Larry uh, B. Scott, and it's weird that I know go. that, but I do know there that because he had the same That's name impressive. as the, I think the former Pac-12 commissioner. How about, how about right? this, John? I've probably told you this before. Yeah, probably on this program fifty times. Uh, Revenge of the Nerds was filmed at the University of Arizona. At that time, Ed Sorensen was the sports director at K-Gun in Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> and his, his wife, Monique, nice. is one of the Roro girls in the movie. Love it. Yeah. I love that. That's he a great story right there. Yes. Yeah. That, is a, they, that is a great story. So yeah, Larry Larry B. Scott was Lamar. Larry B. Scott was also one of the Cobra Kai uh, he was one of the uh, first to get their ass whipped in the All Valley Under 18 Karate Championships. So Larry yeah, B. Scott javelin for like 700 yards. So yeah. you know, hey, 
That's good though. But the, the Caddyshack thing does does surprise me a great deal, right there. It does. Oh, I'm sorry to let you down. That's all right. Jake Query is with us. Any surprises? I'm assuming uh, none whatsoever from Report Day with you and Kevin being up at camp today. No, you know the one thing that I'm not going to say. It, it, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, so I don't want it to come off that way. But something that did jump out at me. I remember this time a year ago, Kenny Moore showing up. And he was kind of in like a little bit of a contract issue. And he had just had, you know, a, a great season where as part of hard knocks, he was, you know, he got named to the pro bowl or whatever. And the team went crazy. And, you know, Kenny Moore became like the people's champion football player and everybody loved him. And then he showed up at camp and there was question is, you know, was he going to hold out or not hold out? And he was like hanging out with Indy 11, wearing a fuel Jersey and it was he was a feel good guy because he was like every one of us, right? And then he had a bad year, obviously. He had a terrible year. He showed up today and I just thought he had you know, he had on like a pair of kind of like they were they were made to look like Louis Vuitton soccer shorts, but they were actually some San Francisco soccer group and a pair of sunglasses and I'm not gonna say too cool for school. That that's the wrong way of saying it, because he was very cordial and friendly and accommodating with his interviews, but um, but he openly talked about how last year there were just a lot of distractions going on and, and there was just a lot going on. And, you know, I don't know if he was talking about from a coaching standpoint and he wasn't down with the coaching change or whatever it might be, but he just was a different approach. And he went from being the guy that was like the super humble, everybody loves him because he's the chief underdog story to kind of bordering on like a little too full, but we'll see. I mean, maybe he, maybe that's confidence he needs, quite frankly, to have a solid year. Um, I thought Ryan Kelly was very open with Kevin and I about some of the emotional struggles that he had and how that impacted his play, which I think has had a ripple effect across the offensive line. And you don't want to hear that as a human being because Ryan Kelly, you know, you don't want any human being to have to go through difficult times. But I do think it offers explanation, and if you're a Colts fan, it's an explanation that probably offers some relief because maybe they do, in fact, as a line, have a better year this year, which is going to be important. Um, And I thought DeForest Buckner was really cool with us, as he is every year. I mean, he's a nice guy, uh, obviously a great player. And I think it's encouraging that, you know, a guy that is in his prime and one of the better players in the league at his position is aware of the fact that they may be a few years away but he's in on, at least for now, trying to help Anthony Richardson grow. I, you know, when Kevin asked him, like, what's it going to take this year? And he's like, well, you know, we, we got to get this guy ready. I mean, everybody – it was like he knew that everyone knew who he was talking about. He didn't have to say Anthony Richardson or the quarterback. Everyone knows on whose shoulder so much is resting this year. Jay Quarry, the morning show. Kevin and Quarry again tomorrow morning up at Grand Park in Westfield for the opening day of Colts practice. Jake with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I don't know what, if anything, Chris Ballard sounded like today regarding Jonathan Taylor. Um, I just think that, and I'll get your opinion, he recognizes his situation and the way this thing is built you know, also took them down this path. It's not even so much because, well, you've got a rookie, very inexperienced quarterback, but the way that the Colts were built also takes them down this path as being different in their approach with their running back than anybody else across the NFL landscape is. Do you think he realizes that? 
I do. Uh, I mean, I think that, you know, like we talked about before, I just think the Taylor situation is an interesting one because they're clearly going to need him to take heat off of a rookie quarterback who's having to learn on the job. But then at the same time, once, you know, do you commit beyond this year and commit big money for Jonathan Taylor and then have him start to hit his, his downslide around the time that Richardson's really in his prime and you don't have somebody else ready to plug in. You know, there's a, there's a balancing act in terms of the, the scales there of time periods. But, you know, the thing we talked about this morning with Jonathan Taylor, and I'm sure, you know, Chris Ballard's well aware of it, Jonathan Taylor absolutely is well aware of this, is Saquon Barkley didn't do any running backs any favors. I mean, a one-year deal for $11 million is – I'm sure Ballard loved that because, you know, if you could re-sign Taylor for a year at $11 million, I think that might even be less than what the tag is at this point. Um, and that's around the price of the tag, somewhere in there. And I do think they'll probably franchise tag him for a year. Then after that, you know, we'll see whether or not they, de- they determine if he is good for – and I think probably the number of years on an extension for Taylor would be as much a sticking point as the amount of money. I mean, they've got cap space, but I think it's the number of years that you want to commit to him because while he has been an incredibly productive player, he has that injury. But running backs, as we know, man, when it goes, it goes quick. And 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 they're just so – such a year to, it, it is such a year-to-year thing. And, yeah, totally. I mean, it's a year-to-year thing. And I think now – if you're him, you have to to hope that you create um, a more of uh, an indisposable type of player production-wise out there because of the situation at quarterback. And, and you know, what what's tough on it is, I mean, there are no guarantees. I mean, you saw it two years ago when you thought, well, this guy, there's no way you could go without this guy. And then last year thinking, well, why do you have to have this guy? I mean, it's incredible the thought process two years ago compared to some of the thought process right now. And unfortunately, all these guys at that position have to live with it. But I will say this. I think Taylor is in a much more positive situation for himself where he is here than you would be basically anywhere else in the NFL. Oh, I don't think there's any question about that. There would be uh, – you'd be hard-pressed to find five teams that are going to be, be more like running back reliant in the next year or two than the Colts, right? I mean, that's a – so I totally agree with that aspect of it. And – you know, I mean, I know Richardson's got a cannon of an arm, and he could throw it 60 yards right on point. And I, I don't say that flippantly. I'm being serious, but that doesn't do you any good if you can't hit a five-yard crossing route, which is the issue apparently through camp, at least from what I've heard, or, or you know, OTAs. Um, but they got to get them weapons, too. they got to get them downfield weapons in time. And until then, yes, the running back position is critically important to them to keep a defense honest. Jake Cray's with us. I do want to shift gears. So you have All-Star Saturday, and that was a big deal made yesterday. You know, tickets only for uh, people from Indiana that went on sale at two. And then you had uh, more than just a handful of people upset about how things went down, didn't get what they were looking for. Uh, and it seems like it was with all of the best intentions here with the folks in Indy and the NBA, $24, 49 and $79 each were the tickets in the 600 level. And now those tickets similar to are uh, from 297 to $305. Who's most at fault if you want to blame somebody for what took place yesterday? Yeah, we talked about it this morning, John. I, I don't – Here's the thing. It'd be easy for me to sit here and say, you know, what a terrible system, terrible setup, whatever. But what's the answer? I mean, I don't know what – 
I, I said this morning, they should just do it old school. Go to your local Ticketmaster location, and get, I, I want to see people camped out in front of Karma Records and J.C. Penny. What the hell? What the? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. let's just do it right. Let, let's go old school here. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. But, yep. But you know, I, I I do think that as I understand it, people that waited in the queue and people that got in early were not aware until they got in there that it was only the 600 level tickets that were available. If that's the case, that's disappointing for certain. And, and I agreed with what Kevin said this morning, having eight as the limit is probably a little high. It probably should be a limit of four, right? So that you just, you don't have people, obviously when it's eight, people are doing it for resale purposes, I'd imagine. Um, and I get it. I mean, listen, if, if people were able to get in and get them and they want to turn around and sell them, I mean, more power to them, right? But I don't know, and I'm not trying to cop out of the answer, but I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the solution is because I think no matter what, there are going to be people that are left out in the cold and unhappy, and that sucks, but that's the way it is. Now, having said that, I, 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 I get why it would be super cool to go and say you were there, but in the ticketless era, where you don't have ticket stubs to be able to like put it in a frame. And, and, you know, I was just going through some stuff here at home and I found a ticket stub that I had from my uncle gave it to me, but from the 1984 Olympic games, I'm like, it's pretty cool. Right. To be able to say, I have a ticket stub from the Olympic games. Other than being able to say that you were there and have a ticket stub, which isn't even applicable now, is it really worth 200 or $300 to sit in the upper level of Lucas oil stadium at a court where, three guys, two of which are probably in the G League or doing the dunk contest. I mean, I think it'd be more fun to just go downtown and find some cool bar and hang out there or go right outside the field house with the new plaza they have there and watch it there, right? Uh, many people end up doing that, no doubt about it. Uh, Jake Query is with us. All right. This date, also in 1980. Very famous because Back in Black released by ACDC. Is that the greatest ACD, ACDC album of all time? Ooh. What, what was Thunderstruck? I'm assuming on? you've heard it, right? I better ask if you've heard it first after the whole Caddyshack ordeal. I've have you heard, have you heard Back through, in Black? Heard it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's no uh, way you're from the state it? of Indiana without hearing that all the way through over and over again. No way. You know, my, my favorite ACDC album and this is also a total cop-out, ACDC Live was, I loved it. And with Thunderstruck, and I mean, my favorite ACDC song is, what album is Money Talks on? Uh, Money Talks? Yes, what album? Is that I, think the album? I think it's Money Talks, right? And that's my favorite look, album. Look that up, James. I think it's Money Talks is Money Talks, title track. I, I love that song. Love it. Um, what's the one that has the bagpipes in it? Oh, is that uh, high voltage? Maybe. What's that? Uh, is a high voltage? The bagpipes no, are like seventy six. Rock and roll. What's the name of it? It's a long way from the top. Yeah, I thought that was seventy six. And the high voltage. I thought that was the album. That that was that's a great song. So whatever album that's on too. But I, you know, listen, I, I think for sure, Back in Black is their signature album. Though, I mean, yes, that's clearly their best album. It's the one that, that has the songs that most people would immediately identify with them. Okay. Maybe it was TNT that I was thinking of, but I thought it was high voltage. Anyway, um, here's the one. You'll find this funny. There's one. Um, I'm trying to think which one it was right here. I mean, obviously, Highway to Hell. 
Highway to Hell is a big one. Um, for those about the Rock, another big one right there. I mean, even the Razors, I, yeah, the Razors like, Edge in 1990, that was a big deal. See, but, Razors uh, Edge, I, Razors Edge is awfully strong, man. That's yeah. awfully good. But I, I, I was literally, I mean, I'll be 51 in September. Yeah, I was literally like probably 42 years old before I realized that ACDC is Australian. I don't know why I just always assumed they were from London. I was stunned when I found out they're Australian. Nah, it's it's great stuff, and uh, I know everybody kind of takes back in black um, at times for granted because if you're a Bon Scott fan, then you're going to take something from the Bon Scott era over the Brian Johnson era. That's how it normally works. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's funny how music changes, though, because when I was a kid and ACDC was out, that was like super hardcore, like yes. metal rock, you know? Right. And like now it's just like, you know, it's just cool classic rock, right? Um same with Motley Crue. I mean, I remember thinking Motley Crue was like, I, I think Motley Crue gave me nightmares when I was like nine. And then I look at it now, I'm like, are you kidding me? I, was, I mean, <laughs> you know, like those dudes, Kiss was the same way. I remember the, the Kiss, my sister had the Kiss Alive 2 album in like 1977. That thing gave me, just looking at it, I was four and a half years old. Gene Simmons gave me nightmares, right? And then lo and behold, next thing I know, the only nightmares I'm having about Gene Simmons is him singing about rocket guys at IndyCar races or some stuff, you know? I remember the the cover. I think it was the live album, If You Want Blood, You've Got It, from ACDC. And <laughs> Angus Young is being impaled by his guitar. That scared the crap out of me when I was little. That I, album cover. I hear you, man. Yeah. I hear you. This guy's you getting impaled right here by his guitar. So you're thinking, wow, what's going on right here? Must be yeah. evil. So Man, those were the days, though, weren't they? Like, you go to, you know, I remember going to Castleton and going to Camelot Records or, you know, Karma, for that matter, saving up my two bucks from allowance every two weeks and going and buying a 45 and, like, the, just the decision of what record I was going to buy that week and looking at the album covers. Man, those are good times, man. It's too bad kids can't do it anymore. Yeah. That and album art. Album art. In whatever fashion it was, was certainly a big deal that we will uh, never, ever see again. So how many times are you guys up at camp this week for the rest hey, of whenever uh, they're there? This week, we're there again tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, then not there on Thursday. And then Friday, we're at the Dairy Bar to kick off the Indiana State Fair. So all told, over the course of camp, I believe we we're doing eight broadcasts from there. Two of them will be this week. Um, if if you were um, if you had to choose between white milk and chocolate milk, would you pick chocolate every time? And did you think if somebody picks white milk, there's something wrong with them? Yes, to both. I would agree. Chocolate milk, by the way, according to the American Dairy Association of Indiana, John. Thank you for mentioning that. Yes. By the way, uh, the same potassium as a banana, the same amount of vitamin A as uh, like three cups of spinach, and the same amount of protein as two hard-boiled eggs. Your excellent refueling beverage, chocolate milk. I remember when Clay Thompson years ago had that commercial about it, and then he went right out and got hurt, like twice. <laughs> <laughs> they were not like keen twice. on that, right? Yeah. <laughs> how, about the odds that, how about the fact that Joseph Newgarden loves milk? And so a couple of years ago, the Dairy Association set him up by taking a tour of a dairy farm. And so he toured this dairy farm, and then it turned out that, the, and this is like four years ago, and the dairy farmer, Carrie Estes, the dairy farmer that hosted Joseph Newgarden on a tour, was actually the dairy farmer this year that was in charge of handing the bottle of milk to the winner. So Newgarden grabbed the bottle of milk, turned around, and was like, oh, man, I toured your dairy farm. 
That's pretty cool. That's cool as hell right there. Yeah, hey, um, cool. would you, if if you had to choose, where would Iowa rank as a state in which you would live? Uh, higher than you would think. I've been to all 50 states. One of these days I'm going to do a blog and rank them 1 to 50. Um, higher than you think. I think eastern Iowa is beautiful. I think Des Moines. We stayed in downtown Des Moines. Tons of cool restaurants in Des Moines. Very quaint. Probably more like the size of a Fort Wayne. But totally clean. And then made-right loose meat sandwiches are so darn good that and only available in Iowa uh, in one place in Ohio. But So that's uh, just like a sloppy joe without the tomato sauce, loose meat? Correct. So instead of tomato sauce, it has like kind of a um, like a meat juice and right. then basically melted cheese. I mean, they are unbelievable. Uh, but I, I, I'll be honest with you, man. I, I really like Iowa. I think Iowa City's a cool city. I think Des Moines is underrated and it's quaint, it's clean, and it's friendly. And it's and people are pretty educated. There is a film from the late 1990s, um, and I can't really think right now who was. Uh, well, Snoop Snoop Dogg was in it, and some rappers were in it. It was called White Boys, and it takes place in Iowa. And if you've never seen that, it is so ridiculously awful, it makes it really good. So you got to check it out. It's called White Boys. Well, 1998 go, or 99, something like that. I thought you were going to go with Field of Dreams in Dyersville, Iowa, and then I was going to have to break it to you that <laughs> this conversation is going to end like it started. I've never actually seen it all the way through. Yeah, I have seen that all the way through, too. That's that's pretty good, too. And our, our friend uh, Drew Storen, you know, got Field of Dreams going with the corn from the Field of Dreams up that, in Iowa. Man, yeah, man he's got cool. that thing pumping right now, too. Good for him. That is cool, for sure. You know? So... Field of Dreams in Iowa and White Boys in Iowa. And one uh, Radar O'Reilly was, I believe, fictitiously from uh, Ottumwa, oh, right. Iowa, right? So, too, so too, by the way, Captain Kirk um, Captain Kirk in Star Trek mentions in one episode being from Iowa and the town of Riverside, Iowa, uh, wrote to and got permission from the screenwriters or whatever to claim that as his future birthplace, and they have a house that is the future birthplace of Captain Kirk in Riverside, Iowa, and the whole town is decked out in Star Trek stuff. No, that's pretty cool. I like it that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think there's also a film called Cedar Rapids that uh, is built around Iowa, I believe, too. That sounds familiar, actually. No, the John C. Riley's in it. They're insurance agents. So I've John, seen, John I've, C. I've Riley and Ed, Ed Helm, I think, that. is in that, too. That's going to shock everybody because that's not like back in the 80s. But yeah. What about Roseanne took place in Illinois, right? It did. It did. But, yeah. you know, she was obviously, I think, was she from Iowa? And I know Tom Arnold was from Iowa. So Yeah, I think it's Tom Arnold's from Iowa. They, were, they yeah, got yeah. That, the whole loose meat sandwich idea out of that. Ashton Kutcher's from Iowa. He right? is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I saw Dallas Clark. I did see Dallas Clark at the uh, IndyCar race, and he looked like he could start for the Colts tomorrow. You think Dallas Clark's in better shape now than he was when he was an NFL player? I think, honestly, he looked. Certainly, like just emotionally, he looked better than he did at the end of his playing career. Was super cool, super friendly. You know, he's, he's tight with Tony Kanaan, so he was there for that. And yes, he looked like you know he's farming and living, kind of living the free life in Iowa, and looked like he absolutely could start tomorrow. He said, he told me flat out, he goes, "I can do a two minute drill, and that's it." I said, "Okay, that's cool. That's about all they need you for." So that's cool. Well, let me tell you this: when you look back at the Manning era with Dallas Clark, oftentimes. You don't bring him up on level of importance, but he was right there in the category of the most important weapons 
Peyton Manning ever uh, had right there. Absolutely. But sometimes and he gets lost the in the shuffle that, because of the other talent. And Manning, you know, he, he – listen, Dallas Clark, in terms of his ability, his bravery to go across the middle and make catches, I mean, he got lit up sometimes um, and was – you know, paid the price for sure at times of being but, – but Manning trusted him, and, and there's good reason for it because if he caught it, he was able to turn – and, and slanted upfield, man. He had good. He had deceptive speed for sure. I, I know you were aware of this, but um, somebody you know really well and a, a longtime friend of mine, Ron Sexton, passed away um, uh, on on Friday, in fact. And I had uh, Jason Hofsett, so you know, who still works for the Bob and Tom Show uh, over where you also used to work off of Fall Creek Road. I'd ask him if I could get some of those those old Ron Sexton made up press conferences that he did for the Bob and Tom show, you know, back in the middle two thousands. And Jason's been giving me those. And uh, in fact, Tom Griswold gave me uh, his blessing, uh, if credited, to play them here, uh, which I thought was really cool of him. But I was listening to a couple of them, and and Ron Sexton doing Jim Irsay is still one of the greatest things of all time around here. Oh, I mean, it, it's so he had he had those two. I mean, he had the banners yes. nailed too. Right? Yes. Oh my um, gosh. Well, thank uh, you, he David Sorensen for certain. <laughs> um, you know, Ron. John, let me let me say this. Um, I, I did not know Ron Sexton well. You know, matter of fact, I, I really it would be disingenuous for me to say that I knew him. Although I, because I worked in the same building as Bob and Tom, I did cross. You know hallway pass with him on a handful of occasions and he was always super cool and I think we kind of felt like we knew each other just because our you know our ages and, and so many mutual people that we knew but uh really quite frankly John the 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 connection between Ron Sexton and myself probably was you and the Kevin Bacon game and yeah. so you were probably the, the focal point of conversation in the few times that I that I talked to Ron and I know, and I hope our listeners know and, and recognize the professionalism from your standpoint of being able to tribute him or talk about him when, you know, the reality is he was one of your closest, certainly professional friends, and I think personal as well. And, and I know you two were tight for a very long time. I think you defined friendship with him and vice versa because I never heard either one of you say a crossword about the other. And you had a, a, a very strong mutual admiration and respect amongst one another that was exuded in his discussions about you or of you when, when your name would come up when I would talk to him. And the few times that I did talk to him, it was always the focal point. So he was a massive talent um, by all account from what I know he had to have been a good guy because if he was buddies with you, that then he had to have been a good guy. So it's a huge loss for Indianapolis and it's a huge loss for a lot of people that I think in their dark times, he was able to lighten it with the humor that he brought to it. So he will be missed for a long time. Yeah. He, um, and I was trying to explain this yesterday as best I could. 
he was so much more. I mean, certainly Donnie Baker was his his character calling card on so many different levels, but he did so many more funny things, you know, whether it was a part of Bob and Tom or on where we both used to work at, at WNDE doing stuff there, working with Mark Patrick in the morning on that national morning show on Fox or you know, going back and doing sports at My Indy TV or TV 23. And he did it at Wish with Mark then. Um, and I, I, they also seem to forget he spent like seven or so years as a high school baseball coach in Florida where they won upwards of like 140 games. I mean, he was so talented on every single level. And uh, it's, yeah, it's tough to come to grips with something like that. I know it's tough for a lot of people. What was the other job that he had, John? Oh, he worked with the Colts. He worked with the yeah, Colts. There you go. Yeah. That's right. Jim Mercer yeah. mentioned that he worked for the Colts for yeah. years. Did he work in their broadcast division? Yeah, he was a part of it. Um, uh, I, I know one time I told a story. He got massively in trouble with Bill Polian because Mark Mark Patrick walked down what was called a forbidden hallway over there uh, back in the early 2000s and to talk to Kevin Spencer, the uh, special teams coordinator. And uh, Bill Polian saw them and the next day called Ron into his office along with Dan Emerson, uh, their, their counsel, and just absolutely read him the riot act. I mean, in, in, in typical Bill Polian fashion. So it, uh, there are a lot of stories that happened over there uh, with him. But, uh, you know, they all, you know, you all reflect upon those stories as, as being cool now because uh, obviously his loss and, and the hole that that puts in, in a lot of, of what we do, how we laugh, uh, how we enjoy things, and certainly as, as a friend will be incredibly missed, but he, what he did a lot of things. People, John, in the, in the end, I mean, I think he, he did it for so long and mm-hmm. did it so well. What percent of people do you, do you think thought Donnie Baker was so real? Uh, uh, probably I would maybe over 50%. Is that fair? At least <laughs> <laughs> probably. I, I just, I, I think that, you know, he, he, he had it so pegged. We all knew, like I grew up with probably, I probably graduated with, if they graduated, like 25 Donnie Bakers. No. I mean, mean, we all hung out. We all had Donnie Bakers in our life. I mean, he he nailed that character to a point where it, it was so relatable to nearly everybody. Yeah. And man, that's, that's tough to do. That's tough to do and, in and that I world think, of characters. I, I think one of the things that would be a challenge was, and I, I don't know this, and I certainly don't want to speak for Ron, if it, especially that he can't elaborate, unfortunately, but I, I think there had to have been times, John, where it was a challenge for Ron Sexton because he would go and do Donnie Baker, and then after the show, people were wanting him to continue to be Donnie Baker. And, like, they're, you know, part of their experience of going and seeing him in a club was like, man, I did shots with Donnie Baker. I hung out with Donnie Baker. You know, I mean, because it, it's, it's just nonstop fun, right? Yeah. I mean, that character was so great. But it had to be tough to, to just lead that, that life of, like, look, man, I'm, I'm still wrong. You know what I mean? Like, it had to be challenging. Yeah. Incredible. No doubt about that. And, uh, a tremendous loss. All right, you can back up there coming up tomorrow, beginning at 7 a.m. at Grand Park for the first day of practice, correct? 
That is correct. We are back there tomorrow for practice. We'll have a couple more players on site, I would anticipate. And then, um, as a matter of fact, I think the new, uh, the the new, the big free agent signing in yeah. the summer, the new Matt kicker Gay. for the Colts is going to join yeah. us. Is going to join us tomorrow. And then I think Dwight Freeney is going to join us on Thursday. Nice. We're in studio Thursday. Nice, yep. man. All right. I appreciate you, Jake. Thanks, man. All right, always a pleasure, John. We'll see you. Uh, Jake Query, Kevin and Query, the morning again back in Westfield tomorrow, Grand Park, the first day of practice for Colts training camp. Way over. My apologies. Quick break. We're back with you on the other side. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Greg Rakestraw, Jay Query, podcast, 107.5thefan.com. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live. I saw Sean Rogers and Jay Law and Gritty and others in there today. My reminder to you is to sign up. 50 bucks right now. Going to get you three hours of golf, food, drinks, games, a silent auction. You get to hang out with us. I mean us by those here at the fan. And you can try to outdrive me in a long drive contest. Good luck with that. Because I swing, as you guys well know, I swing a big stick. But that's coming up Friday, August the 18th at the incredible back nine. I can't think of a better way to get that weekend off to a tremendous start. So log on right now. I'm going to retweet this out, but you can log on 1075thefan.com. Go to the events page and sign up. Get you and all your friends What's going to be great is, like, I'll be throwing back drinks and then out driving all you guys, and it'll drive you nuts. That's even better. We might even, well, I don't know if I'm allowed to bet. I don't know. Why wouldn't I be? I, you know, and, and I know that it, it's kind of like the guy that ba- brings his pool cue in a case, like he's Tom Cruise in the color of money to Kilroy Sports Bar to play pool on a Saturday night. I know that there's a a level of douchiness there, which me, I guess, is similar because I will bring my Callaway driver. I'm going to bring the one dog. I am going to bring the one dog because I've got to pound on the net or send it out into Morris Street, one of the two. But 50 bucks, a great time for a great cause. Join us, won't you? It is our fan golf outing uh, to benefit Franciscan Health. August the 18th, that's a Friday. We are going to play golf, eat, drink, games. Here's what we need to do as well. We've got to find out who. That's a Friday night. I wonder if they have a musical act there. we got to get somebody to do some music. Maybe that's me. Maybe that's somebody me. Got to do like a JMV takeover. They have a stage at back nine. They have shows at back nine. I don't know. Maybe I just like uh, bring the mixing board and and go to work and do a little JMV takeover on a Friday night after the show there. Uh, Think about that. That can probably be done. Again, log on 1075thefan.com. That is going to be an excellent time, and I don't want anybody to miss out. Uh, join us for that great cause. Happy birthday to John Easter. 
And John writes this, you're right about Ron. He created relatable characters and developed them. We all knew a Donnie or a Floyd or a Kenny Tarmac. None sounded like, none sounded like Ron in this case. They were each their own personality. I, I bet you I went to high school with, I bet I went to high school with 50 Donnie Bakers. <laughs> Seriously. It's, it, it was, it was so relatable. Yeah, it's 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 tough. That's tough. I was always I was always a huge admirer. Well, one because we were friends, but two because he had such a talent that I wish I had. It was like I wish I had athleticism. I mean, I, you know, I wish I could dunk. Can't. I wish I could touch the rim. Can't. I wish I had that talent because it was that talent. It was defining characters and then the incredible quick wit. That was always something for me. Yeah, that part's never going to go away. It certainly is going to be missed without question. Uh, Corey Kenny says, hey, JMV, I've never seen Caddyshack. Steven writes this, so Saquon was fourth in rushing last year. JT was 23rd. Why would JT get paid Saquon money? I know you'll say JT was hurt, and I say that exactly. Hey, hey these guys can get hurt. What, I could, I, what can I tell you? But who would you think right now is most likely going to be this year the best offensive the greatest offensive weapon or threat on this team. Who do you think that's going to be? I mean, I, I know the easy thing is to pull the whole injury thing, no doubt. But you can say that about anybody. It's just different here. It's different in the way that you look at him, considering what you want out of him. You need production to try to bring a rookie, inexperienced quarterback along. I don't know. I bring up injury. It is a disposable position, but it still is a position of value that Chris Ballard created. And even though it didn't go the way that they wanted and certainly liked, it still has value right now considering the circumstances they find themselves in with their quarterback. Quick one, top of the hour, Bobby Nightingale Jr., a little MLB will drop on him coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. I got tickets for you, too. I'll explain. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, the show is on the road, and I hope to see you out there every single time. I'll also give you the lowdown with that coming up on the other side. Inside the Lounge via YouTube Live at 93.5. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 
Bobby Nightingale Jr., a little baseball coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Colts.com, Jeff Hopkins, I believe, is where you go. Yeah, from a little bit earlier, too, Cindy Morgan was also the uh, star, co-star in this case, with Jeff Bridges in the film Tron. Dalton, thank you very much. It's from Nate. Jamie, the entire All-Star Game tickets for the local fans were sold out in less than an hour. They're already up to the sale of the reseller markets. 500% is the markup, if not more. If I'm the NBA, I refund every one of those tickets for sale. Insanely gross greed by some individuals. Yeah, I saw those numbers a little bit earlier. JMV, I know you're a Reds fan. What'd you think about the umpire behind the plate, his strike zone last night? Here's what I thought about it. Um, and certainly, it cost the Reds a run. You know, that punching out of Benson cost them a run when De La Cruz came up and hit a two-run shot that should have been a three-run jack. But I kind of look at it this way. It kind of seemed like the d- dude was given outside the strike zone on both sides a little bit. But if you were to look at it, And I'm trying not to because I don't want to be that guy. But if you were to look at it, there has been a heavy lean. And it's not because – that's not the reason why the Brewers have been so dominant. But there are some circumstances you can look at and go, well, I wonder if that was called right, what would have occurred. I wonder what would have happened. Just a thought. So, I just saw this. Is is Jonathan Taylor on the active pup list? Did I just see that by the Colts? I just saw that from their official X handle or Twitter handle or whatever. Hey, man, I tell you what... Let's take a break and we'll come back. I'm gonna want to do that. I want to get into that. I know Bobby Nightingale's coming on, but I want to want to at least um, check into that really quick here. Quick break and we'll come back. Rake Straw Query so far. Bobby Nightingale, some baseball, and uh, we'll talk up first day of Colts camp practice wise coming up tomorrow. Report day was earlier today. That and more with the other side. 93.5107.5 The fan. The ride with JMV. Are you kidding? 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, welcome back. So, this just came across my desktop from the Colts Twitter account. They have placed Tyquan Lewis, rookie Will Mallory, and running back Jonathan Taylor on the active slash PUP list. Did he just hang up? We were just ready to go. Let's do it again. Get it back on. I'm going to find out a little bit more because Kevin Bowen, I mentioned Jake was just on with me, and this came down as we were going to a break a moment ago. And I want to see if we can get a little bit to the bottom of it before I start talking about something that not a lot of people really care about around here more than just this. I want to get some type of, I don't know if you're going to get a definitive answer. I mean, hell, they had Chris Ballard out there at noon today. didn't mention it. Now, he just had a, a surgery. But that just kind of struck me as, ee, wow. Very odd. But we just had Kev on hold and he disappeared. I know that he had he had to pick up a kid or something. I don't want to 
get in the way of that. But try it one more time and see if he's got a minute. I just wanted to see if I could clarify this before we got into uh, this baseball talk. Because uh, people were asking me about it. And again, this kind of took me by surprise. I mean, I knew about Mallory. I knew about Lewis. Um, all right, this is um, this is a tweet from Stephen Holder. Jonathan Taylor to the active PUP list is different than what we were told this morning. Granted, he had an ankle surgery in the offseason, but I think this raises some obvious questions that this is about something else. All right, see if uh, see if Holder can come on right here. Yeah, just go ahead and see if he can come on. I know Kev's got to pick up kids, man. I don't want to get away with that, get in the way of that, I should say. But I do want to try to clarify this as much as possible because that's the way that it looked to me when I saw this because these guys all met with him at noon today. And there's no mention of that. Um, yeah, Bauer didn't mention his name earlier as a PUP candidate. Um, and if you remember, Jim Ursay had said back on on Pat's show a couple of weeks ago that he was healed up. Uh, and Taylor is supposed to meet with the the media tomorrow after practice. But I would agree this does seem like that it is absolutely something else. And again, all these guys may be trying to track down something right now with that. So Taekwon Lewis, Will Mallory, that's a defensive end, obviously, and the tight end. Uh, we were told earlier today it was going to be placed on PUP. And uh, Jonathan Taylor is on the active PUP list right now. So that does add a great deal do a mystery here. If maybe it shouldn't add mystery, maybe it should be like right down the line of well, this is what's going to happen. Uh, but Stephen Holder had tweeted that Jonathan Taylor to the active PUP list is different than what we were told this morning. Granted, he had an ankle surgery in the off season, but I think this raises some obvious questions that this is something else. And it wasn't mentioned at noon. And I know that Ballard had said, I think, in that presser today that they were going to have conversations. Those conversations got to go down this particular path. An interesting set of circumstances right here. All right, we'll go ahead and go ahead and get our previously scheduled guest then, and then we'll find out a little bit more coming up after this. Again, this just kind of struck us right before the top of the hour, and I would like to to get at least a little bit more of a working thought and or yeah, not resolution, but a working thought about where this is going, certainly before we get off the air today. So, you know, we were talking about the lack of leverage. Lack of leverage that he has. And certainly because the owner had mentioned that, hey, he is healed up. This is certainly a different set of circumstances right there. I saw this, what you tweeted, Eddie. Sounds like the Colts are mimicking the Ravens here with Taylor's PUP designation. Um, And this goes back to 
the 21st of July. Interesting note on J.K. Dobbins, of course, running back of the Ravens. Quote, a player's contract will not be... The player's contact would not be told while on PUP unless he is in this year of this deal and is both not, thank you very much, not able to perform football services as of the sixth regular season and is not activated during the regular season or postseason. I don't know if I've ever heard that. Have you ever heard that? I don't know if I've ever heard that. And certainly I wasn't paying attention to it because what's happened to somebody from the Ravens, but I don't know if I've ever heard that being utilized. Uh, yeah, that is odd to say the least right there. Yeah, maybe not so much. But that very well could be the case. We'll talk to Stephen Holder about that. I think he's good to go coming up at 545 today of ESPN.com. We'll dig a little bit more into that and certainly get you hopefully more educated than we are right now about it before we bail here coming up at 6 o'clock. Greg Rakestraw a little bit earlier. Jake Query a little bit earlier. Podcast with each 107.5thefan.com. As I mentioned, that Chris Ballard met with the media earlier today and there was zero mention of any of this. Absolutely none. And then you get to about 5 o'clock today, and that's what it was. And uh, Stephen continues with this tweet, I can tell you that all the options regarding taking a stance on his contract negotiations were on the table. So, looks like we may be walking into a bit of a soap opera right here. Again, considering that Chris Ballard met with the media at noon and there was no mention of it, and then at 5 o'clock there's certainly a mention of it. So that certainly should be interesting coming up on the uh, the list of overnight situations, huh? Conversations going on. Yeah, and, and for those of you guys who are asking, he did have, he being Jonathan Taylor, off-season ankle surgery. Uh, if you remember, he missed some workouts, I believe, going back to the spring. Uh, it was just today, there was no mention of it. It was just Lewis and Mallory as far as those that would end up on the PUP list. You know, I had mentioned, too, with Pat McAfee in mind that when Jim Mercer was on Pat McAfee week before last, uh, Jim had mentioned that uh, Taylor was all healed up. So it certainly looks to be going in that direction of uh, trying to take a stand. I don't know what what if this is the case it's going to do for you. I guess we have to find out exactly what you might be looking for. I've said this all along. He is certainly he is certainly somebody that you need moving forward here. But this particular dynamic seems to be odd. Now, again, all this on the heels of Saquon Barkley agreeing to a one-year $11 million-plus deal a little bit earlier today, which I'm sure has zero to do with this situation, but certainly has to do with how the running back position is viewed. And you're thinking you just you, you don't want to be like Le'Veon Bell and leave so much money on the table, and it stinks that that's where the level of running back, that's where the market is for that position right now, but that's just the case. And again, I, I still say here it's different than it is anyplace else, but we'll see if this is 
a bit of a, a leverage pull here from Jonathan Taylor moving forward. Stephen Holder's going to join us coming up a little bit later on this hour. We shall explain. Meantime, a little MLB and more. Uh, Bobby Nightingale Jr. joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How's this Tuesday late afternoon going for you, Bobby? Doing well. It's supposed to get to 100 degrees in Minneapolis over the next few days. So it's kind of the last day of not not dying of uh, what, uh, or anything. Uh, wait, wait, how often does it get to? I don't normally think about triple digits in temperatures and think about Minneapolis. You know, is this the warmest it's been up there in forever? Yeah, I saw something. It's like it'll be like the seventh hottest days in you know the, since the turn of the century or something. Yeah, that can't be good. <laughs> I'm assuming everybody has AC up there, right? Like it's funny in Seattle. Sometimes when they have really hot days, not everybody out there has has working air conditioning because they don't necessarily need it for most of the year. So those that don't have AC probably would be struggling with temperatures like that. Yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be a the ACs will get a more workout than they've ever gotten. So hey, I, I know that you, you target a lot in the a, in the AL Central, certainly, and in, in with the Twins and the White Sox and others in mind. G- give me the the active points you think that the teams in which you cover uh, may have interest in parting with, especially pitching arms, because we're around both you know Cincinnati and Chicago here, and and certainly people believe that Nick Crawl and the Reds are thinking about doing something here, moving toward the the trade deadline. Within the teams that you cover, who might the Reds pitching wise have interest in? Yeah, I mean, I would think for sure Chicago. I mean, the White Sox are—they're going to have to do a teardown. I mean, they just—they just got swept in Minnesota, so um, you know, and they have some arms. Lance Lynn has a bad ERA, but he strikes out a ton of guys. Lucas Giolito's obviously a big name that'll be—I I think they'll make him available. Dylan Cease, if the Reds want to part with some top prospects, I, I think he could be had. I mean, I think that's at least a, a conversation they'd entertain. Um, and, and then there's like Michael Kopech—he's got an injury history, but he's got a few extra years of control. So I think Reds and White Sox, that's that's one to watch for sure. Uh, Royals don't have many starters, but they have relievers if that uh, if, the, if the Reds want to go that direction. I, I mean, listening to Carl's comments, I mean, I covered the Reds for five years. You know, they're in a different position, but he, he talked about financial flexibility. They obviously have a ton of prospects that they can deal. I mean, they're, they're in an envious position. Um, this kind of depends on how far they, they want to go. I mean, they saw last year kind of what they got for Luis Castillo and Tyler Malley, so they know the prices. Um, but maybe it's one of those things where they're in a good spot where you're in second place in your division, you have a chance to make the playoffs, and you're probably one year ahead of schedule, and um, you know you have more money than you thought you would. How are there the people in the Twin Cities thinking about that deal for Maui and what they gave up in hindsight? Yeah, I mean, it's already turned into one of the worst in team history, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously it depends on how good Spencer Steer and Christian Encarnacion Strand turn out, but you're talking about nine starts of Tyler Maui for six seasons of Spencer Steer and six seasons of attrition and Carnacion Strand. I mean, if Steer continues on this pace, I don't know if he'll be an all-star level player, but I think he'll be pretty close. And Carnacion Strand, I mean, anybody would want him in their lineup the way he is. It's Bobby Nightingale Jr., MLB coverer, with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Here's my thought is with the Reds, like it's enjoyable what they're doing. I mean, even with the disappointment of last night, it's enjoyable to watch what they're doing. But at the same time, you, you want to make sure if you give up some of what you have that is coveted within your organization as a prospect, that you get something that's just not here for, as you mentioned, you know, a handful of starts and then gone. You cannot have that happen. 
Absolutely. But I think one thing, I mean, that's, I think Nick Carl doesn't get enough credit for. I mean, he's hit on basically every trade they've made. I mean, you look at trading Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez for the prospects, you know, Brandon Williamson and um, Connor Phillips, a starter at AAA who has the most strikeouts in the minor leagues. Uh, and, you know, almost every player they've got, they've developed really well. Um, you know, that, that's not normal. I mean, it's not normal to have that type of success rate on your trade. Not typical to have all those prospects kind of look the way they are. I mean, Ellie De La Cruz, Matt McClain, and Christian Carnosian and Strand all in the majors at the same time. That's really rare. Um, so, I mean, I, I mean, uh, odds eventually are, you know, you're going to have some prospects that are going to be pretty well hyped and don't pan out. And, um, you know, that, I think that's the biggest part of where the Reds are is, again, how well can they evaluate their own prospects and, uh, you know, try to limit – the type of Tyler Malley trades. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny, too. We live in a world where there are so many absolutes out there. And, hey, you know, right now you're a game and a half back. You're in the thick of things in the central. You've had very little, if uh, none at all, success most of the time over uh, recent history. So why not go for it right now? I mean, you got to be really careful not to do that because, again, as exciting as this is, Sometimes it looks like it is is put together with with smoke and mirrors. Like you do get some good fortune with this group. You just don't know the sustainability of it. It's fun to watch, but you can't I don't think you can get over your skis in this case as far as what you're trying to do with this team that that is exciting right now, but honestly Bobby it may not be exactly ready for prime time if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I think you're right about that. I mean, I think you look at who their pitchers are. I mean, I think they're vastly exceeding expectations with, uh, you know, if you would have told me when I was covering them at the beginning of the season that Hunter Green would be hurt, Nick Lodolo would be hurt, and Graham Ashcraft would be having a so-and-so season, you know, I would have thought for sure, you know, they were kind of destined to lose 100 games if that was the case. Uh, So, you know, you have to give credit to the pitchers who have stepped up, uh, but also kind of keep that in the back of your mind and saying, okay, if you trade for one pitcher and Andrew Abbott's about to throw more innings than he's ever thrown in his career and, Brandon Williamson, I'm assuming it'll, you know, be pretty close to doing the same thing. Um, you know, how are, how are they going to look in September? And can one starter that you trade for make up for that? Um, so I think you're right. I mean, I think I think there's it's a it's more complicated than just saying you know you're in second place, you're close to a wild card spot too, uh, and just going for it. Well, I was one person that I was a non-believer in Nick Crawl. And, um, and and certainly with me and others, he's had a little bit of payback here. With all right, you see, I do know what I'm doing here and you can see it now in the results which I don't think as you mentioned I thought this was going to be a massively losing team this year and honestly it's been one of the uh, more fun to watch in recent memory as far as the Reds are concerned Bobby Nightingale Jr. he does join us what are some other names within the AL teams you cover and then outside of the AL or just names in MLB in general you think could ultimately be on the move prior to the trade deadline Bobby yeah, I think the big one to watch is Marcus Stroman uh, from the Cubs. He's, the Cubs didn't want to give him a contract extension. He, he kind of made it known that he was willing to do it, um, and there haven't been talks there. So, I mean, it makes sense if the Cubs are going to sell. I mean, he's, he could opt out of his contract at the end of the year, automatically becomes one of the better starting pitchers on the trade market. And then I think you look at kind of San Diego. Um uh, they have a losing record. They spent all this payroll trying to go for it this year, trying to catch the Dodgers, and it's been a disappointing year. doesn't sound like they've fully committed to selling yet, but Blake Snell and Josh Hader are both free agents at the end of the year. I mean, those are two game-changing arms that they are made available. I, I think they're, those, the Padres and kind of the Mets, too, are kind of two teams disappointing, and they're going to kind of use the next five days to determine 
whether they're going to be sellers or whether they're just going to stand pad and uh, go forward with what they have. I know you do a lot of work within the AL Central and certainly cover that of the the Twins with a four-game advantage in the AL Central right now. Um, how do you view them as far as the landscape of the better teams in the American League right now? Where do you where do you slot the Twins, the team that you cover for the most part? Yeah, I mean, they have the pitching to match with anybody. I mean, Sonny Gray's been really good at the top of the rotation. Uh, but the hitting, they've been underperforming. And that's kind of – it's it's kind of weird. I mean, Carlos is having the worst offensive season of his career. Byron Buxton's hitting 195. Uh, Joey Gallo's been up and down. So, I mean, they have big names. They have guys that can carry a team for weeks at a time. Uh, they just haven't performed to, you know, kind of their expectations. Uh, they have the best record since the All-Star break, so that's kind of eased some tension around here. Uh, but I, I think – I wouldn't put them on the same level as maybe the Orioles or the uh, Tampa Bay Rays or Houston Astros, Texas Rangers, but I think they're right behind that tier. And with their pitching, I think they could match up if the hitters, you know, come alive in the second half. Yeah, and they're one of those teams. I, I guess everybody's going to start with the Orioles. I think with good reason as the biggest, most enjoyable surprises. But you know, the team you cover, the team that we talk about around here a great deal, and being the Reds, they're all kind of right up there in that that top three, I guess, of most exciting surprises. Which honestly, you know what, Bobby, it's necessary. I mean, it's it's not bad, and I, I know I sound like a small market guy when I state this, but when you look at you know where the Yankees are uh, can, compared to where Baltimore is right now, uh, for most it has to be refreshing. I know not for Yankee fans, but for most baseball fans, it has to be refreshing, and it gives folks gives folks a reason to really pay attention. I think more so than you have with your favorite team being down each and every year and kind of being a laughing stock. You get more in tune, um, more engaged in in baseball in situations like in Baltimore and what we see in Cincinnati, and I'm assuming even in in Minneapolis where you are right now with the Twins. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see in attendance. I mean, the, the Reds are selling out game after game right now. When when the season yeah. started, I mean, they had their lowest attendance in Great American Ballpark history uh, for one of those games. I think it was like a seven thousand person crowd. So, I mean, fans will tune tune in if they're a winner. And I, I think the most exciting thing, especially when you talk about the Orioles and the Reds uh, and the Diamondbacks too, is just how much young talent they have. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of the one equalizer. I mean, the Yankees are always going to be able to spend more than small market teams. The Dodgers, same thing. Um, but if you can get exciting young talent, they're under team control for six seasons, uh, and you can maximize that. I mean, Ellie De La Cruz, who knows if he'll you know, be in Cincinnati long-term when he becomes a free agent, uh, but he's there for the next six years. I mean, that's huge for Cincinnati. I mean, he's already uh, – I think he already rivals Joe Burrow in terms of popularity. I mean, Patrick Mahomes asked for his autograph. So, I mean, I, I think that tells you everything in terms of if, if you get young talent, uh, you know, that gets fans excited, definitely. That's a no doubt about that. All right, what you're writing about here uh, regarding the team you cover and, and certainly AL Central, AL, and baseball in general, what do you got? Yeah, I mean, right now it's just trade deadline stuff. Um, you know, the Twins are looking to be buyers, Reds too. Um, and, and so trying to monitor that over the next week. Uh, August 1st is the trade deadline, the next Tuesday. So uh, a lot of rumors to follow, a lot of things to watch over the next week. It's weird. I find myself in a weird spot. I'd love to see because it's necessary pitching-wise. I'd love to see the Reds do something. But I, I do want them to tread lightly on it because as enjoyable as this has been, it, it, it seems like that it, it could it could go away rather quickly at times. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think it'll be interesting to compare it to the Orioles. The Orioles were kind of in a similar spot yeah. last year, and they chose to sell. 
Um, they traded their closer um, and, and a couple other guys. They didn't really add to it. Ended up falling short in the second half. And obviously they've had a breakout season this year. But, um, you know, I think it's kind of the same dynamic. You have a young core. How far do you go with if you're like, oh, maybe it, it, may, be not, it may not be real. It may be. But, um, you know, how, how aggressive do you be? Yeah, no doubt about that. Bobby Nightingale, you can find him on Twitter. Is that uh, Nightingale Jr.? Will we find you on Twitter? Yeah, it is. Yep. Uh, a fantastic Bradley University alumnus, by the way. And uh, I'm from Indiana State, so that makes us uh, a get-together of Missouri Valley Conference friends right here talking baseball, which is always good. Bobby, I appreciate you more than you know, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, Bobby Nightingale Jr. on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Highline. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff working right there. Uh, Back to, once again, the Jonathan Taylor stuff. And we'll get Stephen Holder on here coming up in a bit to talk a little bit more about it. So here's, here's where it stands. So at noon today, Chris Ballard met with the media and talked about going on PUP because the most important name that you were hoping not to see going on the physically unable to perform list was Shaquille Leonard. And then you didn't see him there. And then the question was asked, um, no, he passed his physical. He's going to be good to go, but we're going to bring him along slowly, work him in, which to me sounded a hell of a lot better than I wouldn't bet against him. And then you hear that both Taekwon Lewis and Will Mallory we're going to be placed on PUP. Now, Chris Ballard did mention today that you could see a couple of others land on PUP. There was zero mention of running back Jonathan Taylor landing on PUP, which evidently he has. As the Colts 30 minutes ago tweeted out, Tyquan Lewis, Will Mallory, and Jonathan Taylor on the active PUP list. And there was no mention of that earlier. So it, you're, I guess you're left until we talk to Steven coming up here a little bit later on. You're kind of left to wonder, is this a, a lingering, you know, coming back from a surgery situation, or is this setting your uh, proverbial flag in the sand of taking a stand here. Which I don't know if anybody expected that. And and honestly, we're not privy to those internal conversations at all, but it doesn't seem like that unless you want something that which is outrageous for the running back position, it, it seems like that everybody there knows how necessary you are. And again, you don't know this is going to be the case, but you wonder you wonder if you take a hard stand. By the way, he's got a year remaining. But if you take some kind of hard stance, why you'd be doing that right now? If that's the case. Now, maybe that's not the case. But that was news to everybody that covers the Colts at 5 o'clock. Considering they met with Bauer today at noon and nothing at all was said about it. 
Interesting. Stephen Holder's going to join us, and we'll talk about that very thing of ESPN.com coming up here before the end of the show. We'll see if we can't get you close to right on this before we bail at 6. Greg Rakestraw, Jake Query, Bobby Nightingale, Podcast 107.5thefan.com. Stephen Holder on what you would, I guess, consider to be an unusual situation. News-wise, at 5 o'clock today. We'll see if we can sort that out. Coming up in the next 15 or so minutes, 93.5107 by The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. The Sportos, Motorheads, Geeks, Sluts, Bloods, Wastoids, Dweebies, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. August 5th, TCU Amphitheater. White River State Park. Along with the Hooters, Tommy Two-Tone and Paul Young. Rick Springfield will headline what is going to be a fantastic night of incredible 80s music for you. It seems like Rick Springfield has been here a lot. Rick Springfield, again, is a fantastic show, and he'll be the headliner. TCU Amphitheater, August the 5th, number 9239-1070 will go, and will go on us to check that out. I mentioned this yesterday, too. The Hooters have great songs. Great Philadelphia band. Rarely, if ever, tour in America. And they will be a part of that as well. August the 5th, TCU Amphitheater, number 9 at 239-1070. Will go. I had mentioned this a little bit earlier. Before I get to tomorrow and the rest of the week, again, we'll get a further explanation coming up here in the next eight or so minutes from Stephen Holder of ESPN.com regarding Jonathan Taylor being placed on the active PUP list, which uh, seemingly, if you look at it, if you follow Colts Colts, uh, Twitter or Colts X or whatever the hell that it is, um, was a surprise to most. Yeah, people were asking me, is this a hold-in type of situation? Because that was a little bit of the... The conversation going back to last week among wide, I checked that among running backs that feel compelled to be outspoken because of the disposability and the landscape of the NFL financially they get for the position in which they play. So that is where that is right now. We'll find out a little bit more about what this might be, what this might mean here with Stephen Holder coming up here in just a bit. But now, if you look across, those that cover cover the Colts were incredibly surprised by it Uh, because they all met with Ballard earlier today and nothing was said about it. And really, if you look back at what Chris Ballard said about Jonathan Taylor, it almost seemed like it was a foregone conclusion that they understood exactly what needed to be done and they were going to be accountable for that. But we shall see. And then you go back to a couple of different things, too. Jim Irsay mentioning week before last that, that Taylor was healed up. 
And now this. So maybe it is a uh, hold-in type of situation. Yeah, with uh, you still got a year to go here. I, I don't know. If that's the case, it's tough for me to understand why why now and, you know, if you're going to get something done with it. I mean, honestly, though, I've sat here and talked about what I believe is his level of importance. You know, maybe he feels now is the time. If that is the case, maybe he feels now is the time. Because I do believe that. He is, for this team right now, it is different than it is any place else. Uh, his importance in the short. But that was a definite surprise to everybody. We'll hash that out with Stephen Holder coming up in about six minutes or so. I'd mention, too, tomorrow on the road at Union Jack. Union Jack Pub in Broad Ripple tomorrow with the Indy 11. I would love to see you out there. Again, that's tomorrow. Union Jack Pub, but we're going to be in Broad Ripple. And then on Thursday, I don't think we did it a year ago, but the prior two years we did, it is called our annual smoke-off. It's me and Mike Wells, and we go to Sullivan Hardware and Garden, and we go back and we smoke meats, and then we have judges to judge who has the best smoked meats, and the winner gets, I think, four grand that will be given to the winner's charity. Of course, mine is that of Teacher's Treasures, and nothing is more important right now than certainly Teacher's Treasures, considering that, once again, our educators are embarking on another school year. And I've known this from experience, how much it takes to put together a classroom, supplies that aren't often there, and supplies monetarily of which come out of the educator or the teacher's pocket. And Teachers Treasures does a great job in making sure that they can help as much as possible. Therefore, I would love to get that back. So the four grand, it would be great if my meat is the tastiest for those at Teachers Treasures. But you guys can join us. You guys can try it as well. Sit back there and eat and drink and have a good time. That's at Sullivan Hardware and Garden on Thursday. Our annual smoke-off, 71st in Keystone. And then on Friday, we're at the Rook, which is in the similar vicinity right there. That is our tavern tour stop for the month of July. So that's me, Brent Halverson, and Heaven Hill Distillery at the Rook on Friday. So three chances for you to join us coming up Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Union Jack Pub tomorrow, Sullivan Hardware and Garden Thursday, and then the Rook coming up on Friday. And I also announced to you, people are wondering about our Backyard Bourbon broadcast. We are going to do a couple, and one of which... And I'll let you know how you can get involved. But one of which is going to be open for everybody. You know, like normally we go to a place and it's it's somebody's backyard. It's their pool. And they invite family and friends. But we have one in particular that we're going to end the summer with that will be open for absolutely everybody to join us. And, of course, Ford's Garage back in with the food. You know, as usual, Heaven Hill Distillery a part of it. I'm going to check. I think Ryan's going to be a part of it, too, with uh, with Fat Tire, New Belgium Brewing. But there is going to be one to end the summer. And we had tried this a couple of years ago, and for whatever reason, it didn't work out. Uh, this one's going to work out. This is for everybody. 
And I'll let you know where that is going to be in the days and weeks to come. All right. I'm pretty interested, too, at what angle this might be as far as Jonathan Taylor being today announced. And it was weird because it wasn't mentioned today with Chris Ballard, but it was tweeted about from the Colts at 5 o'clock. Jonathan Taylor, the running back, is on PUP. We'll talk to Stephen Holder about that, what that reason could be, might be, and is. Break that down for you with some answers coming up on the other side. Stephen Holder of ESPN.com is with us next. 93.5107 by The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. And the beat goes on, yeah. And the beat goes on. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Rakestraw, Query, Bobby Nightingale Jr. All on the show today. The podcast, 107.5thefan.com. Union Jack Pub, Broad Ripple for us tomorrow at 3 with the Indy 11. Sullivan Hardware and Garden with Mike Wells, our annual smoke-off with smoke meats on Thursday. Sullivan Hardware and Garden, 71st and Keystone. The Rook on Friday, similar vicinity with our Tavern Tour stop and Brent Halverson and Heaven Hill Distillery on Friday. So three days in a row you can join us. Meantime of the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline and uh, the promo of the morning show alluded to Chris Ballard meeting with the media, uh, which is something he did do today at noon. And while mentioning on the PUP, Taekwon Lewis and Will Mallory going, there was uh, no mention of one Jonathan Taylor being there, as we found out at 5 o'clock from the uh, Colts and a tweets. Jonathan Taylor is there to talk about that from ESPN.com. Stephen Holder is with us. So what do you think gives here? Uh, Well, surprise. Uh, I think that... (laughs) (laughs) Look, I... See, that's not... Do you think that happened after Ballard talked today or was he aware of that when he talked to you? Well, if you want to give him the benefit of the doubt, here's here's what you can base it on. Uh, They were... I, I believe Jonathan Taylor was not was, was one of the, the players who reported, um, you know, later Late, in yep. the, the reporting process. So I think they were still working through all of their different, um, you know, check-in procedures, and and the medical part of it is part of that process. So it is plausible, okay? It is plausible that he had not been through the medical uh, checkpoint. You know, when Chris Ballard spoke today, that is definitely possible, or at least he had not gotten word. He did say that he had not spoken with him yet. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think, like I said, if you want to give Chris Ballard the benefit of the doubt, there's there's reason to do that. But I but I also think it's very hard to ignore the elephant in the room here. Yeah, it, it seems like from. From always saying that they are well aware of everything before it happens, it would be tough to understand that they would not be aware of this to me. Yeah, and especially because players who are, you know, sort of legitimately hurt, they, they oftentimes come back a little early too sometimes. You know, not not all the time, but, but often they will come back early and, and get checked out and, and they tend to know where they're at before they, you know, kind of get cranked up. So, I mean, Jim Irsay said on McAfee's show a week before last he was healed. Yeah, he did say that. He yeah. did. And and I remember talking to 
to, to Jonathan Taylor at the end of the, the mandatory mini camp. And, and he certainly suggested that uh, the plan was for him to be up and running. Now, what I'll say is I was told since this news came out, the only feedback I've gotten was from a source that says that this won't be long and that he'll be up and running soon. They were just working through, you know, the, the final stage of his recovery. But, you know, look, <laughs> uh, show me, don't tell me. We'll see. You know, I, I think time will tell. Time will tell. So Stephen Holder of ESPN.com is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Could this be, first of all, what would be gained out of doing something like this? Like it's been tossed around. Maybe this is one of those sit-ins um, type of deal, hold-ins, I should say, not sit-ins, but hold-ins that have been uh, referenced a couple of different times. Or maybe he's, you know, found a spot where he can have some leverage. What would be the idea of doing that right now with a, a year remaining? Uh, I mean, you're, you're basically making your point is what you're doing. It's all, it's the only card you can play. It's the only card uh, a player under contract can play when he's looking for a new deal is to withhold services and, and withhold is the wrong word. Let me be clear. I'm not saying, it's, I'm not saying that there's acrimony and he's at odds and, and is, you know, sitting out. I don't know that, but I'm just saying just generally speaking, the only thing a player can do is withhold his services or at least, say, hey, you know, I'm not quite there yet. And and I'll say this. You know, he may not explicitly say, he being any player, they may not explicitly say, um, I'm not going to play because I want a new deal (laughs) or practice because I want a new deal. But there there also, I think, is a little bit of precedent here with, with Jonathan Taylor along these lines. It's not the exact same thing, but here's what I'm talking about. Last year, you might recall, there were a couple of instances with Jonathan Taylor when he was dealing with the ankle injury where we were led to believe he was going to play on a, on a given Sunday. And then what happened at the 24-hour mark before the game, we would get a release saying the following players have been ruled out of this game. And Jonathan Taylor on a couple of occasions had that happen where it was a complete 180 from what we thought was happening going into the weekend on Friday. And so I always – interpreted that and and my information kind of backed this up. I always interpreted that as Jonathan Taylor making a unilateral decision. My ankle is not good and I'm not playing (laughs) as opposed to, you know, him really wanting to be out there and, and the team maybe having to say, okay, is it smart for him to play or not play? That is not what happened. This was a Jonathan Taylor decision in those instances that I know where he said, I, I'm not there yet, and I'm not going to play. That That's not very Jonathan Taylor-like, you know? So it was interesting, and I noted it at the time. I thought it was very noteworthy at the time that he, he was taking a very different approach than he has historically taken. A guy who's never missed practice, never missed games, and now was saying, yeah, you know what? I, I don't feel right. I'm not going to play. So, well, What's odd about this to me, Stephen, is the fact that it sounded like today – that Chris recognized, much like stuff that that I've talked about, you've talked about, the, the difference and the importance that the the future of Jonathan Taylor holds here compared to what the rest of the NFL running back landscape might yeah. look like right now. It seemed like that Chris understood that and was resigned to that fact. Thus, to me, to make some type of stand – that made it more surprising. If that's the case, that would make it more surprising considering how Chris sounded about Jonathan Taylor earlier today. Well, I do think it's, it's undeniable for the Colts that, you know, while 
I understand the arguments on all sides of this thing. I really, really do. I understand where the teams are coming from. I certainly understand where the running backs are coming from. I, I get it. Uh, but I, I do agree with you that the, the Colts are not exactly flush in offensive talent, okay, offensive skill talent. And then you have this, this young quarterback who has the world on his shoulders, okay? This guy has to work out. Now, he, he handles it fine, and, and he's dealing with that pressure, I think, quite well. But at the same time, you've got to help him, and they know that. And the, the best attribute he's got going for him is Jonathan Taylor. Because I can't say that about his offensive line until they play better. But the best thing he's got going for him is his, is his running back, who is yeah. at least somewhat at odds with the team over his contract. So you know, it ain't a great situation. I, I think when you look at so take for example, I mean the Giants. I mean they've got they've got a big money quarterback under contract. Uh, they have a few other pieces on offense. I, I don't love maybe their pieces on offense, but but I guess they could they could say, look, you know we've. We've gone a couple of years with, with Saquon banged up and without him doing much, and, and we survived it. Um, you know, the Colts, when they have had success or anything approaching success in the last couple of years, I mean, Jonathan Taylor was a huge part of that. I, I just think it's a little different. I, I do agree with that. And it doesn't mean that you go out there and you give him $20 million a year or something. All I'm saying is he – plays a pretty big role, I think, in their offensive success, probably more so than other running backs. Yeah, I, I asked this question earlier. I mean, name me uh, an offensive player, uh, skill production-wise, you believe in more than you believe in Taylor with this group. No, go back to – look, all, all you have to do is go back to 2021 when they determined late in that season that, okay, we don't trust our quarterback – Carson Wentz. We do not trust our quarterback and we're not going to throw the football. <laughs> that was the game plan. We are not going to throw the football. And we're just going to ride this running back, which sounds crazy in 2000, in 2020s football, but that's what they did. That's literally what they did. It's uh, Stephen Holder. Hey, man, I appreciate you jumping on here quickly. Um, we may hopefully get more of a resolution to this, and we'll get you back yeah. on. But it just struck me at 5 o'clock when I saw that. I thought, hey, that doesn't sound anything like what I heard earlier today. So I agree. I, I thank you, man, for hopping on here on quick notice. More than you know. Thank you. All right, you got it. That's uh, Stephen Holder. So we'll find out more, I'm sure, still to come with Jonathan Taylor being on PUP. Woo, after Ballard talked today at noon. Then after Jim Irsay said he was healed. As the world turns. Sounds familiar. James, thank you. Back with you tomorrow at 3. I'll meet you in Broad Ripple, Union Jack Pub with the Indy 11. Be there with me tomorrow at 3. I'd love to see you. We'll drink. We may need it. <laughs>